Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 63 of the Hunger for the Hustle podcast, the podcast where we pull back that what's seen as a glamorous curtain into the world of business and entrepreneurship. My guest today, Shelley St. John, is joining me live from Denver. She believes that storytelling is at the heart of everything we do. And with over 700 badass public speaking appearances, she certainly think, knows a thing or two about storytelling. Founder of Sally St. John Inspires and Auction Divas, an entrepreneur for over 20 years, an auctioneer, an auctioneer for over 14 years, has raised over $125 million for charity. I cannot wait to dive into it with you today, Shelley, and discuss what drives your evident hunger for the hustle. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for the invitation. I'm so grateful to be here. I have to make one clarification though. 700 events as auctioneers, speakers, and MCs. So we've done it all and we just put it into one round number. But definitely we've been on stage for years. Yeah, it still counts. You're still at the forefront of making things happen. That's uh, right. And I, and I imagine you're still the voice behind making a lot of those things happen. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Right? Once an entrepreneur, you get the bug and you're always an entrepreneur. Yeah, I don't, I've not met anyone else. I've not met anyone that's gone back to employment after an entrepreneur. You I know, would say there probably is some people, but I've not met them. I always laugh at, during downtimes because as an entrepreneur, it's kind of like love. It goes like this throughout life and throughout the business, right? And I always laugh in those times that are a little bit leaner than others, thinking, wouldn't it be romantic to go get a job? <laughs> to sit down at a desk and to, to have a paid vacation, to have sick days, right? And to not have to be in control every moment of every day. And then I bust out laughing and go, I have ruined myself for all other employers, right? So you're yeah. exactly right. You get the bug and that's who you are. I feel you there completely and wholly. And let's 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 wind back to the start of your journey. Was there a time where you were employed and then you went to entrepreneur? Was there an aha moment, or how did it? How did the journey kind of go for you? Well, it goes way back before even my first job. And yes, I was in the corporate world for many years, but I am the daughter, the third child of a very successful female auctioneer who be or not auctioneer, excuse me, entrepreneur who began her entrepreneurial uh, journey in the late 60s. And so I learned from her early on how to interview for a job, how to dress, how to speak, how to answer phones, because I helped her at her office for many, many years when I was real young and all the way through uh, high school. So, you know, I, I had it in my bones. But as most entrepreneurs do, they go off into the world and they learn from the corporate experiences that they have. I was in the hotel business and hospitality in marketing and public relations. I was transferred from Minnesota to Arizona. That's when I met the man that I would marry. Then we transferred all over to Texas and Michigan and finally landed here in Colorado. So... It's, uh, it's been a journey all the way through. Now, I started my first company, which was a marketing firm in 1992, uh, based out of Austin, Texas, and I was doing the side hustle. 
right? Because I still had a full-time job in the corporate world, but I knew in my bones that I wanted to do marketing and I wanted to do marketing for that section of the business world that couldn't afford the advertising rates like a Coca-Cola or a Kaiser Permanente, but for that small to medium-sized business that deserved the same quality marketing at, at a, a rate that they could afford. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense to me, and I'm sure there was a huge market for that. Absolutely, and, and I love watching all of the young designers and marketers come on the market, and they're really doing a bang-up job right now. So I'm so proud of the way that business has just evolved and changed over the years. Mm. And tell me, how, how did you go from there to, you know, you, you have um, the charity Auction Divas and, and how did that come about? How did that start? You've been doing that for 14 years now. So it's a long story, but I'm going to make it short and sweet. So in 2005, I had a life change. I got divorced after 15 years, no kids. My marketing company was going gangbusters. We had a first floor storefront office in a very trendy part of Denver, downtown. I had a staff of five and we were doing really good business. Now, three of our main clients were real estate clients. One was commercial real estate, one was residential real estate, and one was investment real estate. And one day I'm sitting at my desk and I'm looking out the window and this big tall building is going up and I thought to myself, wow, these real estate clients are paying us good money. We're doing good work for them. How do I get into the real estate business? Mm -hmm. So fast forward a couple of weeks later, I'm at home on a Saturday, I'm flipping channels, and I land on a Discovery Channel segment about a husband and wife team that decided to go to <laughs> auction school to sell real estate at auction. And it was really quite funny because there was not a hesitation in my mind. I just blurted out, well, I could do that. And the rest is history. <laughs> and there you are. There you are. And I, I don't know. They do it a bit differently here. I'm not sure how they do it in the States. But in Australia, they actually auction the house in the street outside of the property. Oh, in yeah. The of the street. Is that what they do in America? Well, you know, it really depends on the company and the property, right? Um, sometimes it's in a hotel ballroom. Sometimes it's in the house itself. Sometimes it's on the street. So everything is different. And it's, it's really funny, too. So I spent about eight months doing real estate auction in 2008, which I don't know about Australia, but in the U.S., that was the major real estate downturn of our modern time right? And all the big foreclosure auctions came through town and people were losing their shirts, their marriages, their livelihood, their families, because real estate was so depressed. Well, it got me depressed too. So I got asked to do my first charity auction uh, the summer of 2008. And it was a disaster on a multitude of levels. But the very next day after that event, I decided that that was the only kind of auction I ever wanted to do. And I formed the Auction Divas that very day. Fantastic. That's awesome. I love the way that you 
in a time of strife and struggle there and something didn't go right for you. What made you decide that that was the only auction you wanted to do going, going forward? You know, I had spent years um, in my marketing company working with nonprofits and also volunteering. And volunteering changes you. It changes you on a core level. And people, I think, who are not current volunteers, they, they really don't have the scope of how their life will change. Because when you go to a homeless shelter and help people, when you go to a food bank and you pass out food, when you in the States go deliver meals to elderly through a program like Meals on Wheels, you, you really begin to understand how grateful you are as a human to live the life that you live. Because every one of us, no matter our educational background, our socioeconomic status, each and every one of us who walk this earth are going to need help at some point in our lives, right? Yeah. I mean, it could be that baby that needs a heart transplant um, before they're one. It could be the kid that needs help with reading like I was. It was me in third grade, right? It could be that help with that aging parent that lives just too far away. So when you, when you volunteer, when you decide to give back, when you decide to give to charity, it opens your heart in a way that you never could imagine. So if any of your viewers are considering a volunteer position or want to do something to expand their lives and to help others, beginning as a volunteer is so powerful. I guarantee it'll change someone's life. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I really compound that point, that last point that you've just said. You know, if you're if you're looking, um, the gift of giving is just, of course, you're you're giving to a cause. You know, and it can, and it doesn't have to be. A lot of people think of of giving, of charity, of donations. It has to be something financial. It really doesn't. You know, it can just be your time, your effort, your energy, even just you know, some of these services are just you you offer to speak you know your time down the phone to speak to someone who's perhaps a little bit lonely i know the samaritans do a great service here in australia where you just go and check in on elderly people and maybe do odd jobs for them like changing light bulbs putting shelves up and things like that so it doesn't always have to be a financial thing but giving in any sense you know it can just be giving giving help or advice on your experience that you have that's um, exactly right if you're an animal lover and you've got uh, some extra blankets, extra towels, go take them to an animal shelter. They're always looking for something like that, right? And thank you that you will get when you walk in with a box of sheets or towels for those animals, the smiles and the appreciation. You go, wow, I want to do this again. It was better than going to the store and buying something for myself, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you get a lot more back from it than just going out and there, there and treating yourself and, and look frankly the world needs it right now you know the, the world the world needs people who are willing to help right now who are willing to help you know with their voice if they have a message a message of strength a message of courage um, the world really needs you know warriors not warriors right now and I think that's well worth remembering yeah I think you're exactly right here in the US we are getting ready for one of our major holidays on Thursday which is Thanksgiving and traditionally on Thanksgiving, you drive, you fly, you congregate, you have 
you have a big meal over a large table with a lot of people and it's a time to really be together with friends and family. But because of COVID and, and how rampant it is in the US right now, uh, our, our leaders are telling everyone to stay home and not to have the big gatherings. And that is an issue, but there are so many families that need dinner, they need food, they have food insecurity, and that trickles all the way down to their kids. And we really need to pay attention to those families and help them whenever possible, because the last thing any child needs in this world is to be worried about food. Yes, I agree. I agree. It's one thing. One thing there's a complete abundance of in many parts of the world, and it just needs to be shared in the right way, you know. And if uh, I was, I was even, I was even, I was even quite amazed to see. You know, we were talking off camera before we came on here about the situation with COVID, and and you're asking me what it's like here in Melbourne, Australia, where I am, and it's it's really a very different situation here to places like the UK and 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 um, America, certainly. I think and. Look, I'm not, I'm not too down because I don't watch the news every day, but I'm sure we're coming up to three weeks here with no cases in Victoria, which after a hard lockdown, three to four month lockdown, which really was quite hard and strict, um, uh, we, we managed to get there and get to that point. But um, it, it, it's, a, it's a whole different thing here to what's going on um, in other places because of the population density, because there's just less people. But it's, it's still affecting people in the same way, of course, as it is. Other people all around the world, people are losing their jobs, people have lost family members, perhaps family members that were supporting that family. You know, there's a lot of fallout effects from it that you don't always see on the face of it. And I was I was quite shocked to see that, you know, there's people gathering in large lines at food banks all around Melbourne. Um, you know, so there's people all around the world, not just in these countries that we see are really drastically affected with these huge, crazy numbers, even in the, in the other countries with smaller population densities, the problems are, of course, the same. Yeah, absolutely. And you think of um, celebrities like Tyler Perry. He did a food giveaway or food drive, I think, on Saturday, and it was supposed to be open from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. They ran out of food in two hours, and they had enough food to feed 5,000 families. Wow. In two hours. It's it's amazing how how this pandemic has changed our world and and i know i'm a little bit woo woo but i really hope that the the things and the and the nuggets of goodness that come out of this is that we're a kinder society that we are a smarter society and that we as a society decide to care right and then act on that caring yeah yeah i couldn't agree with you more i think there's a lot of luck going to come out of it a lot with regard to people's awareness of self and awareness of the people around them particularly a time that we've had to to get quiet to go within and really have that time to realize that a lot of these people quite frankly we've been away from maybe that's a good maybe some of being being away from some of them is a good thing for us you know it's um, and how many of the people that we've been away from do we need to connect with again um, right a lot of people will be asking themselves <laughs> that's a hard question though right um well question I've, to ask and answer it's i think it's it, it depends how you look at it it's an easy question for me to ask my answer ask and answer myself right um, i'm aware that i might not like the answers but being true to myself and knowing that the you know 
listening to my intuition. Right. Let me tell you, Shelley, that's one thing I've massively improved on this year because I've had more time to listen to it um, and then take faith on it and, and go forth with it and believe in it. Yeah. Um, and I, then it, it rarely serves you wrong, your intuition. <laughs> absolutely, your intuition, your gut, and whatever, whatever faith you have. Th this year to me has been a year of the divine because I see a, hower, a higher power at work in my life so often when I'm quiet and when I can stop and listen, right? And some people, their divine is in their heart. Some people, it's God. Some people, it's multiple gods, right? It doesn't matter who or what you believe in. But if you're quiet and you listen, you'll get those messages. Yes. Yeah, I truly believe that. And um, I mean, you'll perhaps know as, as a speaker, and this plays out for life itself, that a mentor of mine, Mr. Les Brown, once, once said to me when he was teaching me speaking, he said, you know, a speech is really a two-way conversation between you and the audience and it's about listening to the listening uh, and i really took some value from that and it took, took a while to sink in for me and that's really what speaking is you know it's a conversation between two people listening to the listening but i also think that can play out between you and yourself sometimes and actually listening to the listening of your own thoughts instead of just you know it's easy to get swept away with them in the demands of a busy life but the point i'm really trying to make is that this quiet time has been a time to not only listen to the without, but the within, and, and really deep down on what what is what is you saying to you, uh, and are you listening to that, and how are you acting in accordance to what you you are saying to you? I hope that makes sense. <laughs> it does make sense, and 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 you talk about knowing your audience, right? Mm. Years ago, one of my first keynotes back in twenty seventeen. The, the line that I delivered, which I still hear the music, I see the audience of when I first delivered that line is still so ingrained in my head. And so it's, it, it goes, whether your audience is one or 100,000, you're selling a product, a service, raising money, or just trying to change someone's opinion understanding your audience on a core level will help you identify why each person is in front of you why they care about what you're talking about but more importantly why they don't once you understand that you can craft and deliver the messages that inspire the action that you want your audience to take Right. So I still remember when I delivered that and I still get chills every time I recite that, because to me, it's always been true. Yeah. And I bet when you recite, does it take you back to that moment when you first delivered it? It does. I was at a theater in Manhattan and I, it's funny. Just recently I saw a movie and there was there was someone performing on that same stage. And I'm like, oh, I was on <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fantastic. It, it's 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 uncanny how just uh, the sight, sound, smell, or recite, recital of some words can take you back to a place like that in, in an instant. Oh, absolutely. But that's our memories, right? When we're yes. lucky enough to have those memories. Yeah, for sure. Now, talking about triumphs uh, and challenges, you know, I'd love for you to share in that couple of decades you've had there in business some big challenges that you've had and and how you overcame them. I always find there's a lot of value in overcoming challenges. 
Well, I want to answer that a couple of different ways because one of the questions that you asked me earlier was, what was one of my favorite business books? And in talking about that business book, we'll answer that question. So one of my favorite books, and it's an older read, it's called The E-Myth. And it talks about solopreneurs and, and young entrepreneurs and the challenges that they face. But it, it really puts those entrepreneurs into three different categories. The entrepreneur, the visionary, the manager, and the technician. And when you're a solopreneur, doing starting a side hustle or, or you know going all in and starting the business, trying to balance all of those is one of the most difficult because you know you're you're a visionary and you want to do this and you want to do that and you want to plan this and plan that. Oh my gosh. And then you're the manager because you now have to manage booking all the business and and doing the contracts and and making sure there's enough business to to underwrite the project and then you've got to be the technician because you've got to work it. So I think if there was one big challenge throughout my entire career as a, an entrepreneur, it would have been to make the time and the budget for help early on because we can't do it alone. No, you're right. We certainly can't, but you do try to. Oh, absolutely. You try to. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Like realizing the fact early on that you're going to need the help and that actually you're going to grow quicker if you get it. But then being able to afford it is the, is the part that's probably a bit of the challenge at the start, isn't it? And that's yeah. the reason why solopreneurs, solopreneurs, business, you know, startups have to wear all those hats at the start and have to have to do it, do all the things right. But I think you're right, you know, if you can put a little bit of money aside for marketing, put a little bit of money aside for mentoring, put a little bit of money aside, um, you know, to have someone do your accounts, the, the, the quicker, the sooner and quicker you can do those things. And delegate them out to people who do them, you know, full time professionally. The quicker you're going to be able to spend your time and focus on other things, and that's just going to mean more growth for your business. Absolutely, mm. and and that all comes down to what you're good at. I've used the same bookkeeper for I think 15 years, because <laughs> there's one thing I'm not good at, and that's making widgets, right? Mm. And that's entering little numbers and little receipts. Yes, I can add. Yes, I can do math, but it's not where I excel. I don't get excited about it but there are people out there that do and those are the people in my corner because i know that my time is better suited doing other things yeah i couldn't agree with that more and um bookkeeping i'll tell you something i've had to do this past few few days after being several months behind putting it kindly um yeah it's not something i enjoy but it's it's yeah. just something yeah it's got to be done it's essential but yeah if you can find someone that actually enjoys doing it Please, please take yeah. care of it. Take, take more money. And that's, that's just an example. It could be sale, yeah. could be uh, web design, it could be, you know, depending on what your business is, it could be a lot of things. But realizing what you're really good at and making sure that you can focus on that. Yeah, I think that's really good point and really important that, you know, a business takes a lot of different people, a lot of different skills to, to get going and then to continue going and then to even grow. But it's important that everyone kind of stays in their lane. And, yeah. and, and when I say that, I mean, I don't mean stay closed-minded, obviously stay open-minded, but just hone your craft and you're going to get better and better and better at your crafts. Then you can ask more in the monetary value for your craft. 
um, it works for everyone. I think better more if everyone stays to sticking what they're good at and just getting better at it rather than trying to do 110 things at once and not quite getting any of them done with full gravity and, and focus that they deserve. You, you have that point dialed, my friend. <laughs> now let's talk about some triumphs and some wins, some really big moments that stuck out for you being uh, an entrepreneur, those moments that just, you know, you cherish forever. You know, it's really interesting. As an auctioneer, I get asked all the time, what was your favorite event? And I, I really have a hard time conjuring up what, it, what was my favorite event because is it tied to the number of people? Is it tied to the, the money that we raised, right? It, it's hard because there are so many wins. I'll tell you recently, one of the most amazing experiences is, um, uh, unfortunately, a, a friend of, a close friend of mine was, uh, died uh, a year ago at the end of September uh, through Don't domestic violence. And thank you. And, and it was really hard for our circle of friends. And the trial was finally in July and the gentleman was let scot-free. He, he got off on everything. And that was what it was. And we had to accept that. But one of the friends in this group decided she was gonna do something about it. And she uh, decided to do a little fundraiser. And this was at the end of September and um, she, we found a charity that could accept the donations who, who work in domestic violence. And we had a little tiny event, 30 people outdoors at a winery outside in downtown Denver. And 30 people is not very many people at all. And all of us from the charity to my friend that we planned this with, we all thought if we could make four or $5,000, this would be huge and a great way to honor our friend's memory, right? We raised over $18,000 with 30 people. I mean, there were probably only seven bidders in the room. To me, that was a huge success personally, mm. right? I mean, in many events, a big success for me is to raise two, $300,000 or to know that the audience is so happy or, or the group is so happy or, or we funded such a major project. So to me, the success in doing what I do is to be able to get out of bed every day and know that I get to make the difference in tens of thousands of people's lives every year. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. And thanks for sharing that, that story with us. Um, I really am sorry for your loss. That's a, it's a terrible thing to have to go through. But um, it, 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 you know, you touched on, I really went with you there as you told the story. You are a great storyteller. And I always, always gauge a, a great storyteller in my mind is someone who creates a visual image of what they're describing. And it flicks up very vividly in my mind as they're describing it. And for a second there, when you talked about being at big events and raising two or three hundred thousand dollars per event, which is just huge, really. Um, the the excitement in what you're doing as you're actually delivering that auction and the fast pace of it, and you know it's quite a lot of shouting and hollering. It must just be so thoroughly, thoroughly exciting. Such a fun thing to be a part of. Well, it really is. I have to say. I 
I feel like being an auctioneer was the job that I was looking for all of my life. I just didn't realize that it existed. Right. Mm -hmm. And once I once I step on that stage, whether it's a concrete platform, a street, a hay bale or a stage in a ballroom, it is magical for me to see everyone and to lead them down the path. Right. Because it's tell it's it's sharing the story with them. It's why is why is supporting that organization important? Why is feeding kids or curing cancer or helping animals at risk of euthanasia. Why is that important? And, and imparting that story so that people are motivated to action, right? Because true influence is when you inspire someone to feel with their heart. And once they feel with their heart, then to think with their head because they're validating what they feel and together that culminates in action, right? So as an auctioneer raising money for charity, that's my job to make them feel, to help them validate, and then for them to take action. Did you, and it's interesting how you, you kind of tapped into a little bit there, the psyche behind it, and you know the psyche you have to get behind as being the, the auctioneer. And, and I'm sure that involves a lot of, of listening to the listening within the room and getting a feel for the room and, and as you said you know it could be it could it could be a barn dance it could be a, a, a big event which, which we haven't seen for a while at you know a hotel or or a conference hall um, did you know you know and you said that you know you like you love being on the stage you love being in front of people you know bringing people together something i really love doing as well did you always know that you wanted to be on a stage before you were on there but you just weren't kind of sure how that played out and what, how it really looked well, I, I actually started my life on stage. I was a runway model uh, back in the early 80s. And I actually was also a Playboy bunny. Uh, I wore an orange costume, I served cocktails, and I taught people how to play backgammon. So I, I started out that way and I loved being a runway model, I did. It was amazing to me to walk down that runway and connect with people while you were making the turns and 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 looking at everyone and having them you know re responding to what i was wearing to the smile on my face right and so that whole thing so i kind of started out that way mm -hmm. yeah that's cool and then it kind of just played out from there and on from there i'd imagine that's a a super um powerful experience for a woman to have been a a runway model, um, you know, or a catwalk model. Sometimes it's called. It's yeah. It's just like yeah. You're you. I mean, you couldn't be more center stage. The whole room is focused on you. Um, yeah, I'd imagine it's a super cool, powerful experience. It it really was, and it, it's not like in high school I had any designs of doing that. Um, in fact, high school and I were like oil and water, and. I graduated a couple of years early and, and my mother chose this finishing school for me. It was a modeling school. It was an interior design school so I could learn a trade, which I never worked in and retail merchandising, but also for my own self-confidence, right? So I went to this school uh, about two hours away from my hometown and I just blossomed. It helped me gain confidence. It helped me 
figure out how to communicate with people, right? So there was a lot of underlying uh, support that doing that job gave me. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. And did, so you didn't have much self-confidence before that or you just grow, grew massively? I was kind of an ugly duckling in high school. I was tall, skinny, tiny little blue eyes, long red hair. You know, it ju- I just was, I was an anomaly, mm. right? So it, yeah, it, I was just kind of a loner and out there and, and yeah, it just, I needed something to, to begin. I needed something that I could get behind. And my, my wonderful mother chose it and it worked very, very well. Yeah, yeah, it sure did because um, I mean you would, you certainly exuberate com- confidence today in everything that you do. Uh, you couldn't do a lot of the things that you do without um, a large amount of, of self confidence. I think it's something that um, again you have to work on. It can be wavering when things happen to you, particularly things of big impact. Um, you do sometimes need to build it, build it back up. But of course, being in a, a public forum, a public place um, where you where you're speaking and you know, perhaps being a host or an auctioneer as you are, that inherently is going to um, definitely keep that confidence pretty high. Well, you know, you you have to be comfortable with yourself and know that that you are perfect in your imperfectness. Because wherever you go, whatever you do, the haters are going to hate and the lovers are going to love, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's really getting comfortable with knowing that some people just aren't going to like you and some people are going to love you. And that's okay. Because in any business, anything that you do, any group of friendships, right? There are people that you really connect with and people that are just there. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. Yeah. 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 They're either helping you on the way or they're in the way. (laughs) My mother used to say, lead follow or get the hell out of the way yeah <laughs> hey i just want to touch on it and it's fine if you if it's not something you want to discuss but i've never had a playboy buddy on the show before i don't know if i will ever have one again <laughs> i'd love to know like how did you how how did that come around and and what was it like did you go did you go to the mansion so it's actually kind of a funny story so i was i just finished the school that i told you about the finishing school and I was in, I was probably 18 or 19 and I was interviewing for jobs. So here's me in my big heels and my portfolio walking around downtown Minneapolis. And this photographer that I worked with quite a bit, uh, he had called me and said, hey, Shell, they're interviewing for these Playboy bunnies, you know, at the resort, then the resort in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin. You should go try out. And I said, oh, my God. My father, who was a born-again Christian, would kill me. I'm not <laughs> right. So here I am. I interviewed for a receptionist job. I've got my, my portfolio in tow. And my roommate is going to pick me up at this pre-designed hotel. I just had to call her and tell her when I was ready, right? So here I am. I walk into the hotel. I walk up to the front desk. And I didn't even have to open my mouth. And the front desk clerk said, down the hall and to the left. <laughs> and I went, oh my God, he, he knows I was looking for the phone bank because then we didn't have cell phones, right? Well, we had to go to the phones on the wall. 
And so I'm walking down with my little portfolio and I see these Playboy bunnies in black costumes walking past me. I'm like, oh, this must be the day for those interviews. And before I ever got to the phones, someone pulled the portfolio out of my hand, gave me a card, told me to get in line. And <laughs> I'm walking a catwalk over the pool area at this hotel. And, you know, cocky me, I get off the runway, they give me my portfolio back, and this woman looks at me with her half glasses and looks up at me and says, we'll let you know if we're interested. And I said, I just interviewed with a law firm. If you want me, you need to call me by 7.30 tomorrow morning. <laughs> Talk about being a little bit overconfident. Well, they called me at 6 a.m., and they said, we want you, we're going to pair you with someone else, and you're going to come to the resort in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin. You're going to be a cocktail waitress. You're going to wear an orange costume, and do you play any games? I said, I'm really good at backgammon. Great. We're going to put you in the game room, and you're going to play backgammon with kids and adults and everybody. Brilliant. So that's how it all began. That's, that's what a fantastic story. I'm really glad I asked. Yeah, funny. Now let's talk about the word hustle. The hunger for the hustle is the title of this podcast. I saw your eyes lit, light up because I know we talked about this off camera. Hustle is a big thing for you. I know there's a word that you closely connect it with. I would love for you to give me kind of your definition of hustle and, and what's driven your hunger for it over the years. So the word hustle, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, were, was really connected with those pool hustlers and maybe not as above board type individuals that were hustling for the money. But they knew what they wanted, they knew how to get it, and they went after it, right? And so while it started out as a word that might have been associated with a negative behavior, in today's environment, we have to hustle because there are so many things going on in everyone's life that we gotta get after it and get it done so that we can relax and live the rest of our lives, right? And so the word hustle really uh, compares with the class that I've just released called Auction Fundraising Growth Strategy Hacks. And the word hack in the same time frame used to be thought of as a negative. Oh, it's a hack, it's a shortcut. Somebody doesn't wanna put in the work. And I think there could be nothing farther from the truth today because we all want to get into whatever we're doing. We want to get it done and we want to get on to the other parts of our lives and to learn from others how to do it easier, how to do it better and maybe more effectively in a hack. I think it couldn't be anything but positive. I couldn't agree more. And what a great way to answer that question yeah you're so right it's, it's a term that's it's, it's it has been you could say it was used by people that were you know it's particularly a term that's associated with things that are maybe a bit criminal or certainly a bit more um off center maybe not um what's the best way to put this perfectly legitimate ways of earning cash but yeah. i think uh, that's that's really and it probably is still attached that that word is probably still attached to some of them things to some people but yeah, that attitude is changing. People are realizing now that every day is a hustle, every day is a grind, particularly if you're doing your own thing, if you're trying to generate your own cash in this world 
and not just rely on going to one said place of work and trading your time for someone else's money. Absolutely. And in the world of wealth, and I've read this by at least four or five authors, to really build wealth in your life, you need four sources of income, right? Even if you're working a full-time job, you still need another three sources of income. If you're an entrepreneur, you need more than one focus or hustle, right? Because you have to have multiple sources because you never know when the next pandemic is going to hit, right? That's absolutely right. <laughs> and uh, that's one thing that people might have, uh, might have learned this year. And, uh, and, and hopefully they've, they've got some extra income, income streams, some extra side hustles, some extra whatever word you want to attach to them that bring you a bit more cash in from separate income or, or right. source. Now, let's talk about some of your goals, dreams and aspirations going forward. Um, I'm sure there's, there's lots being planned for auction divas. Um, and I would love to hear about that. So the pandemic hit auctioneers like me pretty hard, right? I had an amazing calendar planned for the year and uh, knew that I was going to pick up another X number of events before the end of the year and it was going to be fantastic. And I remember that fateful day at the end of March and I lost something like $89,000 in a 72-hour period because all of my events either canceled or rescheduled to post-pandemic, right? And so you think, oh my God, what am I gonna do? How, how am I gonna live? How's it gonna work? What, what in the world? Well, for me, I, I'll, I'll, I've, I've lost friends through, through COVID and that's not fun. I have lost friendships because I haven't been able to connect with people. But the good things that have come out of that for me going back to one of your points, Jake, about self-reflection, was to take a, little, take a little minute to figure out what I do want. And if I had a choice, and if I had, the, if the world was my oyster, what would I do? So I got to take six months and document everything I've learned in marketing and fundraising as an auctioneer as it relates to organizations raising money for their cause. So to me, that was so amazing. And so I released the course, Auction Fundraising Growth Strategy Hacks. It is a six week course. There are six modules, there are 30 hacks, and it's digestible, it's chunkable. The, the longest lesson is not only 12 minutes right it's not something you you need to pour over for hours and hours and hours now clearly there's homework that takes a little bit more time but i wanted to create this class so that elementary schools preschools small to mid-sized nonprofits could actually create a strategic event plan where they had they were laid out with everything that they could think of to create a plan for their specific audience. And so that's the first of many classes. In 2021, we're releasing four more classes, um, how to automate your donor communications based on uh, donor response, uh, how to book your donor base solid, 
and uh, how to fill your events using product launch strategies. So I, I will always love being a live auctioneer. There are many auctioneers that, that made the switch to doing virtual events. And I've done a few and I'll do a few uh, in the first half of 2021 for some really good clients. But I, I love the live part of it. So between training and the live events that I do, that's really our future. Yeah, yeah, I think, I think it, it's, it's going forward, it's going to be an amalgamation of the two in a lot of respects, but you just can't be being in a room full of lots of people, lots of, lots of energy flying around, yeah. you know, lots of love, lots of humor, lots of just, yeah, just a whole lot more energy. Um, of course, live events are what we've been having to do recently, you know, Right, um, and they've been a good substitute, but just not quite the real thing, are they? <laughs> That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah, you can never be the real thing. Now, as we get towards um, the the end of the episode here, I usually like to wrap wrap this up and I ask for three hot tips and a book recommendation for anyone wanting to start their own small business. But I know you have three tactics that you believe drive are the driver behind any business, and I, I was wondering if you know as we could wrap the, perhaps wrap the show up with those. Absolutely. So the first is truly knowing your audience, their likes, their values, and their dislikes. Most organizations and, and most early or younger entrepreneurs, they like to, to make their audience so broad that it's hard for them to really define who they are. So I suggest that you really tighten up who that audience is and who they are, what they value, what their generation and their communication style is like, so that you can speak directly to that that tight little niche audience and then let, let it expand from there. Make sure that in the beginning, you craft your story, not just tell your story and not just tell it off the cuff, but do the hard work of writing your story and editing your story, making sure that you pull in all of the research, all of the other stories from other people, other clients, media outlets, and, and really tell that story in, in a way that inspires someone to feel, validates their thought, and then creates action. And third is just to get out and go do it. Don't let anything hold you behind. You are perfect in all of your imperfectness, and everyone should always know that. Yes, I think that's a great way to put it. You are perfect in all of your imperfectness. Yes. That's, I think that's a, a lovely sentiment to, to finish the show with. It's been so nice to have you on, Shelley. Thanks for spending your time and energy with me today. Would you just like to tell the folks where they can find you if they want to connect with you? Absolutely. They can log into my website, which is the T H E auction, A U C T I O N divas, D I V A S.com. Or they can go to our Facebook page, which is www.facebook.com slash the auction divas. Wonderful. And I'll pop those in the comments for anyone that's watching along later. Thanks for joining me, Shelley, and thanks for watching, guys. If you've been wherever you've been watching in the world from, whatever you've been watching on, if you've enjoyed the episode, please like, share, and yeah, pass it on to anyone else that you think might get some value from the episode. 
Shelley, thanks so much for joining me. Enjoy the rest of your evening. Thank you. You have a great day and let's connect on some of our other venues. Yes, absolutely. I'm sure we will. So grateful for you. Have a great night. You too. Take care.